Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for the analysis or autopsy of sales. Weekend result in a loss against London Irish at the GTEC Community Stadium in Brentford. Uh, my name is Alex and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host James. James, after a pretty poor weekend for uh, fans who support sale in England, how are you? Yeah, mate, uh, recovering. Um, it wasn't a great weekend, was it, from a rugby perspective? There was some great rugby played, um, just not by our teams. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, we'll come on and touch briefly on that uh, annihilation at Twickenham later on. But um, first off, I think we'll talk about sales game at Irish. So, Sale 36-18 loss against Irish. Um, it was a pretty humbling experience and a blow to, to our hopes of a home semi-final. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to talk through, but I guess the first question really is, did Sale deserve to lose this game? And, and why did they lose this game? Because, you know, it felt like at 22-15 down with 10 minutes to go, Covis Beast is about to run in a try that, you know, he's two metres out, it's a dead sir, and we'll be back up to 22-20, or the way Rob was kicking 22-all. Um, so, you know, it sort of feels like everything just went wrong from from that Covis Beast try onwards, because, well, non-try, obviously, because he didn't score, he goes off injured, we go down to 14 men, and then, you know, Irish seal the win with two late tries. So it feels like a, a bit of a battering, um, but actually, you know, it's very, very close to being a decent result for sale. So, yeah, where do you think it went wrong, James? Do you think that last 10 minutes is the crucial bit or do you think it was the groundwork was laid for that earlier in the game? I, I think it was the groundwork. Honestly, I really do. You know, I think that we had the physicality uh, on Irish like we always have when we've played them in the recent past. Sorry, excuse me, listeners. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Apologies, listeners. I can hear you all say bless you. Um, yeah, I, I honestly think it was it was the groundwork. I, you know, when you when you're behind away from home, there is a big ask, and I know there's a big concentration on the Curvis Visa incident because he was sort of strolling to the line, you know, rather than eyes fixed on it. And when he saw the person, you know, he should have been heads up, seeing the person coming. Either should have lent into that tackle or just dived. I mean, you know, it's one of those. You know, when you're six foot seven. And if he was, if he took the ball at pace and accelerated and then dived, I don't think he would have been pushed into touch. But you know, Sinti was there as well. I don't think it was a definite try. Um, I really don't. And actually, if it was the other way around and Rafi Quirk had just pulled off that try-saving tackle, we'd be giving all the plaudits to Rafi Quirk. So I'm going to say for Rory Jennings, who's only recently a twelve. You know, he's more of a ten, really. You know, he's he's not that big. Um, and just for the commitment. You know, it's a try-saving tackle. He's put his body completely on the line. I just have the utmost respect, especially because he got his head on the right side uh, and and everything else. Uh, I, I just have the most utmost, utmost respect for Rory Jennings in that tackle. So um, I'm not going to dwell too much further on that particular incident. Um, I still think that we're disjointed defensively um, and less went through the 13 channel this time directly. But I think it's affecting our whole defensive shape. I think it's making um, uh, wingers question themselves and maybe st- step in a little bit more. 
um, second guess what their job is in the defensive line. I think that made us vulnerable to the crossfield kick, um, which, you know, we got hit like a lot. <laughs> you know, Sinti's brilliant in the air. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player. But this is usually a strength area for us. You know, we're pretty good under the high ball. Um, but they they obviously had done their homework and they felt that we were getting a bit too tight in and uh, they were able to exploit that. And I just think that whilst we had the physical superiority, we were, we were unable to impose it on the opposition for long periods of time. You know, you saw it with our rolling mall tries. You know, we, we had them on toast at times phys- physically, um, but we just couldn't make that count. And there's been games like this in the past for us uh, under Sanderson, where you, where you just think we haven't properly turned up. I, I think if there was more at stake in this game, you can't guarantee a win away from home against a, a team in good form, but you'd be pretty sure we would have come away with a losing bonus point. And we didn't. And I, and I, and I think, okay, well, we're just allowing ourselves to become under more pressure at the end of the season when we didn't need to be. We should be in a position where we should be able to rotate through the last three games. Instead, we've got a bye week next up and other teams are going to have the opportunity to close the gap within one win. And that puts us under actually a lot of pressure. So much pressure because it's unexpected. You know, it's not sort of built into your resilience system. So it's unexpected pressure. And I I just worry that that makes it difficult for us to play to our full potential in the last few games because we're going to feel this pressure is completely unnecessary i think i mean what's your thoughts Alex? I mean, maybe you've got a bit more specific analysis than me rather than just a, an emotional rant yeah no i'm in fairness i think emotional rant is also where you end up with this game because um you know obviously it's it's tough for us as well having this this game obviously wasn't on bt so you know you're you know the result before you uh, before you watch it for most people, unless you've got Premier League TV, um, which makes it all the more emotional because you're already in a bad mindset when you start watching it. And I think it's a good point as well that you know next weekend, so uh, the 18th is the Premier League Cup final, so there's no game for sale, and then the week after is a bye week, again no game for sale, and then the week after that is Cardiff um, in the Challenge Cup, and it does feel sort of we had the opportunity to leave everything out there for this game. And like you say, you know, one more win secures us a home semi-final, all things told, you know, with other results. Um, I think we had, and this was a really good opportunity against an Irish side who, you know, let's make no bones about it. We've struggled to put them away um, for a long time. We've, We've always known that we can beat them and we've known that we can score against them. But we do let them back into the game and I think their attack is is one of the most dangerous for our defence anyway. So it probably wasn't the best team to come up against in that respect. Obviously, we lost, uh, sorry, we drew with them twice last season. Um, and again, both times where we, you know, should have won the game and, and let them back into it. So I think that's the disappointing thing for me that, you know, we go into two weeks off now on a low and there's a lot of work to be done to kind of rest that momentum back for a big knockout game against Cardiff in, and then you know, you're back into the, the main cut and thrust of the season and you're going away to Bristol needing needing to win because as you say, you go into that bye week and people will catch up with us. Um so it's a yeah, it's a frustrating performance. I think the specifics are what what sort of frustrates me about this game as well 
is that when you look at the stats, you know, we should have won the game. We conceded less penalties than Irish. We had about 50-50 on territory, slightly less possession. You know, our defence was as good as theirs was, you know, 85%, 86% both of us. We lost two out of 20 line-outs. We won all of our scrums. We won back a couple of restarts. They had the yellow card, which obviously we can touch on as well. Um, but we won more turnovers than them. So I think that's the frustrating thing, that you look at those stats and you go, well, why did we lose this game? And that's why I come back to those last 10 minutes that actually, you know, they're probably what made the difference. But I think you're right in that that we should have put the game away before that, and then that last 10 minutes doesn't happen, you know. That Cambridge Beast thing is frustrating because the angle makes it look like he's in. But you're right, it's just a heroic tackle and, and massive amounts of respect for putting your body on the line like that and being able to generate the power to move a bloke that big, you know, quite a long way across the pitch. Um, you know, really changed the momentum of Cobus Visa there in that tackle. So it's part of this is about how do we set up to win the premiership? And I think that's gotta be the the goal, and understandably I, I think that is the goal. And there's two schools of thought on this, aren't there? There's, well, we're playing really well with Rob Debray and Gus War, so let's keep playing them. And George Ford will have to earn his way into the team with performances, and that's how it's going to be. And we'll generate the wins now, and then hopefully by the time we get into the semi-finals final, we'll just have our best team, and, and that'll be it. There's another school of thought that, you know, you've got probably your highest paid player, or certainly one of in George Board, you want to A, get him into the team, but B, keep him happy. And, you know, you don't want him sort of feeling like he's not getting a fair crack after such a long time out injured. So I can understand why Axe wants to get him in the team. And listen, this guy is a, a massive talent. And I think if you ask most people who they'd want to start a Prem final with, you know, Rob Dupree uh, on current form or George Board. I think most non-Sale fans would say George Ford. I think Sale fans have seen this season how good Rob can be, and that's a massive credit to his performances. But this is the kind of... I think it's... I feel quite sorry for Alex Sanderson that he's been forced into this selection decision so late in the season because of George Ford's injury. And this, you know, this, this is what he's paid for. These are the tough calls you have to make as a DLR. But I do think it's it's really, really difficult to manage both that squad harmony and that defensive shape, as you say, but also those off-the-field things, the player egos and the, you know, the intangible things that you want a squad that is together and, and you win a league by having a squad that is together. And it's why Sarri's have always been so good, because they can rotate and because people, you know, drop in and out at the right times and come back in in form. And I think we just... Um, which we have to acknowledge that you know it isn't as simple as Rob Dupree is playing the best rugby, so should start. Now it, that might still be the ultimate answer, but there's other considerations in this um, in this selection decision. So that com- coming back to the Irish game, I think you know that George Board Rob Dupree sort of axes with Ryan Mills at twelve. Obviously, Manu's to come back into that, but Ryan Mills had a really good game against Sarries. You know, it's they're learning about each other, and that's a process that takes a bit of time. And um, 
I, I do think that we'll see the rewards for the pain that we've kind of gone through in the last few weeks with that that kind of balance of players. Um, eventually, I, I, I think we'll see it at some point. I just don't know whether that point is going to be this season because that Irish game, as you say, you know, it's costing us wins and it's it's that sort of, um, again, talking about England in a sort of BBC sport fashion, it's what Eddie Jones effectively lost his job over that he was prioritising the World Cup and sacrificing the the kind of the Six Nations and the Autumn Internationals. But actually... I think you can see, and I think you can see from people on Twitter and and Facebook group, and you know fans generally, uh, starting to lose patience with this Ford Dupree selection cri- criteria debate um, because the results are falling off, and I can fully understand that. I mean, I think. I'm on the side of, listen, we've got George Ford and if we take a bit of pain now to get him into the team but win a premiership with him, then it's worth it. But I completely acknowledge that it's a massive, massive risk to be sacrificing, not sacrificing games because obviously we're not going out to lose them, but ultimately we are sacrificing games because of those, you know, that that lack of harmony and cohesion between the two of them. Um, so, you know... We've talked, as as you say, we've talked big picture here, but I do think this game is kind of a big picture game because when you look at the the individual bits, listen, Irish just got off to a really fast start, scored three decent tries, got the flukiest 50-22 I've ever seen, but brilliant from Augustine Creevy. Um, And, you know, by that point, they're 22-3 up, and I actually think we showed a decent amount of mentality to get back into it, but... Like you said, with you know, was this you know lost in the last ten minutes or was it a different time? I think you can't go twenty-two-three down. We went sixteen points down against Saris, and and you can't do that. I don't think you can go nearly twenty points down two games in a week and expect to to win games, can you? So it's those slow starts, and I know we're away from home, and Irish an expansive side, but that's not an excuse when you're second in the league and you want to win it. Um, so I think it's those slow starts that are the real issue. And listen, as we say, mentality is great. We pulled it out of the bag against Saris, but we were at home. We probably, because we were away at Irish, couldn't pull it out of the bag. But that's the the worry for me is that this George Board Rob Dupree issue is an issue. But actually, there's a bigger issue here that why aren't we? Why are we conceding twenty two points in? and going that far down on the scoreboard when we're supposed to be, you know, a side that's pushing for a home semi-final because, frankly, that's not what those sides do, is it? No. And and, and let's be honest here, Alex. You know, we, we've won three of the ten games since the new year. We don't have the form of Premiership winners. You know, most of the great sides, they, 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 they pick up their form into the playoffs. Now we can still do that because, you know, I mean, it's essentially it's three weeks between the game we've just had against Irish and the next game against Cardiff. And then there's another two weeks until the the next premiership game. Um, but, you know, you, you look at someone like Bristol, they're picking up ahead of steam. Uh, I think we've still got to play them. Um, 
Gloucester have fallen off completely. They look like it was Gloucester or Northampton would be the ones that would be challenging us for, for a home semi-final. Now it's a whole cluster of teams. Exeter were getting on a roll, but but then, you know, sort of had a, a difficult day out against Quinns recently. But, you know, we don't... Three, three wins. And one of those wins, by the way, was a scraping three-point win against Bath, who can barely play rugby at the moment. So look, I'm not. I don't want to be overly negative. What a season we've had! We're second in the league. If we got showed this league table with three games, sale games to go until the end of the year, we'd have taken it every single time. So we've, but but I just feel like we're doing the same pod quite a lot since the beginning of the year, which is macro. We're in good place. We're in really really good shape. What a blessing it is to have a selection problem between Rob Dupree, who's in good form, and George Ford. Again, if we'd been told George Ford wasn't going to be seen until March, um, we would have written off a lot of our chances for this year. Um, Rob Dupree's goal kicking has been absolutely exceptional. It was probably the weakest part of his game up until this year. So there's just so many positives when you stop and think about it. Um, and but I feel like we've been doing that in every pod. You know, or a lot of pods this year. Seven out of ten. We've sort of been disappointed at a loss, um, you know, games that we should have won and then haven't. But the macro picture is still all right. I think that the what the reason why this one feels a bit more negative is we've come away with nothing. And some of those other losses, we've either come away with try bonuses or try bonuses and losing bonuses. And, we, and we've been accumulating points, which is, you know, sort of kept us in, in a good in a good position. But I, I think, honestly, we need to win two of our last three games to get a home semi-final now. Um, now, one of them's at home to Newcastle last game of the season. You would expect us to win that, especially if there's a lot on the line. Um, but, you know, the, the other two games, what is it? It's Gloucester away and Bristol away, um, yeah. I think. that's. I mean, it's just not going to be, it's just not going to be easy, is it? Um, so, especially because, you know, Bristol are playing their really good attacking running rugby again. And if there's one thing about Irish, they managed to stretch our defence and really put us under a lot of stress. And I think if you're Bristol, you're taking a lot of heart from that because the tracks are only going to get harder um, and the balls are going to become less slippy over the course of the next few weeks. And I think a few people are going to be fancy playing us. Now, we can play attacking rugby of our own as well. And, you know, as long as we're running at space and not at people, um, then I think we're generally okay. Um so, you know, look, it's it's not doom and gloom. It's in our hands still. We can afford one more slip up. You know, I think we've with with the points difference that we've got, we, we can afford uh, uh, another loss. We might get away with, you know, maybe only needing six or seven points, maybe, you know, a couple of losing bonus points and a and a and a, and a, and a win, uh, maybe with a try bonus. You know, so in there, I think maybe seven points will be enough for us to get a home semi-final. Because when you look at the actual, you know, the fixtures of the other teams, they do have to play each other. Um, but you only need one team out of that sort of three or four teams below us to win every single game. And we still wouldn't get a home semi under those circumstances, potentially, if they've got 15 points from their last... Well, because most of them have got four games left, haven't they? So, you know, that's 20 points. Up for grabs, one team wins every game. Seven points won't be enough, but you'd think that that's unlikely. Um, so we're disaster sizing a bit because we're sales fans and we're allowed to do this. Um, and even if we don't get a home semi, we're still in the mix, but we know how much difficult it's going to be. And we know in rugby, it's a rare opportunity to get a home semi final. Commercially, it's another sellout, you know, in a, in a second half of the season where we don't have many home games. 
Um, so I think it's just super important to do it for the club. Um, now, go back to your selection dilemma, if I may. I mean, there's, it would make sense, of course, is if we do enough to get a home semi-final and we've managed to bed Robin at 13 and George Ford has, you know, look, he's coming back from a very serious injury. This is not this is not a normal situation. You know, it's going to take, it could take him months to get back to where he was. If ever, I mean, some people never come back from this type of injury, actually. And it's really not helped being called into, you know, train with England one week and all the rest of it. And I bet you he gets thrown in to the deep end at Ireland, which would be just such a poor decision from Borthwick. Because I've not seen enough from George Ford to show that he is match sharp. You know, he's clearly got good skills, perhaps some of the highest skills I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. His leadership qualities are second to none. Uh, His kicking game is second to none. and His decision-making is excellent. But he's he's not playing any rugby and he's coming back with a really serious injury. He's played like literally two games for sale. Picking him in an island would be absolutely stupid. He needs to get a run of games with his club if we're going to make this work. But it's a risk, a risk that might lead us to not having a, a home semi-final. So that's a judgment call for the coaches. Um, you know, and I suppose there is also sort of mitigating factors for them in that, you know, well, we could keep with Gus War and Rob Dupree, but what happens if one of them got injured just before the semi-final? Then you're trying to throw somebody in from nowhere who's not had any game time with the team. You know, Rafi's missed most of the year. George has missed most of the year. So I can see from a number of perspectives here that they want to have their whole squad match sharp, bedded in with the team, ready for the semi-finals. But it's a risk uh, if we don't get that, that home semi. Um, now, personally, for me, we have seen Rob go well in the 13 channel in the past, but it's very, very difficult to be moving between 10, 13, etc. You know, and it shows what an exceptional footballer Sam James has been for us over many years, who has been able to move around 10, 13, 15. And, 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 and oh, well, I'd say it didn't affect his performances. I think over the long term it did. It did have an effect on his performances, but it was a slow uh, impact. Whereas with Rob, you saw, you know, just defending in the 13 channel, especially because he's not done it a lot in his career before last season. It's just a different kettle of fish. And as I said, I, de- I think he performed personally better defensively in the 13 channel, making better decisions, um, etc. But I think it's put doubt in the minds of other defenders. And I think that makes things quite difficult you know, it puts stress on the defensive line that we've just not had. And we have started to concede more points since Forshaw has gone. So it does feel like we're sort of hanging on to this season a little bit rather than sort of motoring into the into the knockout stages. Um, but maybe, you know, look, I'm going to finish on one positive potential because I'm disaster-sizing. Let's do it the other way. Yeah, be overly optimistic. Overly optimistic, we're in fourth, third or fourth gear. But when we absolutely have to, in the knockouts, we're going to be in fifth gear and we'll find that form that we've had earlier in the season. We have the physicality. We'll have two scrum halves and two fly halves that are better in with a team and we're going to play everybody off the pitch and win the premiership. How about that? <laughs> Can't argue with that at all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's a good point. I think I, I do think that, you know, we, we're going to be in a stronger place if we've got Rafi and George Ford firing rather than just putting them on the bench, rolling them out for 20 minutes at the end of every game and, and you know, having Gus Wall and Rob Dupree play all the matches because, like you say, you know, if injuries happen and, you know, if Rob Dupree gets injured in the last 
home game against Newcastle of the regular season and you've not played George Ford all season. And he's, as you say, coming off that serious injury and going in to start in a Prem semi-final or final um, with not much game time, then it's, it's unforgivable really, isn't it? So I, I think that is a very good point. And as you say, that momentum is a really good point about this year. 2023, the Sale Sharks has just felt bitty. And I think it's because we've been in a lot of competitions where we've been able to lose. So, you know, we... We had two Premier Rugby Cup losses, one of which was a semi-final, but that sort of, you know, uh, fell by the wayside. We've had two European losses, but still managed to get into a Challenge Cup knockout round um, through virtue of, basically through virtue of beating Ulster so handily at, um, at the AJ Bell back in October when we were playing really, really good rugby. Um and in the Premiership, as you say, we've basically snuck past Bath and had a real statement win against Harrison's. And all the other games have been, you know, Northampton, close loss, Exeter, close loss again, Irish, nearly a close loss, and then game got away from us at the end. Um, so I think you're right that it just feels, it was always going to be the way with this back half of the season because, you know, very few home games in comparison to the start of the season because of the Wasps and Worcester um, dropping out of the league. We've Tough, tough fixtures compared to what we did in the first half. We've got people coming back into the squad. We've got people going away with England. Injuries coming through, and it's just all contributed to, as you say, there's not that momentum that you want. But on the other hand, it's March and the finals are in May, so we've got the chance to build that momentum. Oh, in the next few weeks, we've got you know two weeks off now, then a one-off game against Cardiff, I think that will be an interesting, interesting to see how we prioritise that. Again, I could, I would fully happily go into that game with George Ford at ten and Rob Free at thirteen because I don't think you know. Listen, winning the Challenge Cup would be amazing, but it's not the be-all and end-all this season. I think there's such an opportunity to win the Premiership, and that opportunity might never come round again. You saw how Bristol have dropped off from you know being a top four solid side to being nowhere near it um, at one point, albeit yes, they are now making a charge um, with AJ McGinty steering the ship. Um, so I think, you know, that as, as I say, there's that opportunity to kind of bed in George Ford in the Cardiff game, and then you've got three Prem games, two away, really tough away games at Bristol and Gloucester. But I want to look on the optimistic side like you, James, and say that, Bristol, we have always, always been able to shut Bristol's attack down. And I think it's crucial that Sam James plays for that game for that reason, probably. We've not really seen George Ford and Sam James work in tandem, which is an interesting one. It's always been Ford and Dupree. Um, we've always been able to shut Bristol down. Gloucester away is a bit of a one-off. Listen, it's a really tough place to go, but it's doable. And then we come to Newcastle at home. and that Listen, it'll be a tough test, but I think we'd all expect to win that at home with if results are needed and, you know, we need to pull it out of the bag. So, yeah, I think you're right. There's plenty of cause for optimism. It feels negative and it feels bitty. And the podcast feels bitty as a result, doesn't it? Because there's just not that momentum and not that excitement to talk about. Um, it's a it's a game where we didn't really show much. We had a little period of positivity, but actually Irish just pulled us apart. And I'm sure the London Irish fan podcast is having an absolute ball of a week because it was a really good performance from them and you know 
um, their some of their tries were just outstanding. And you've got to stand up and say, well, that's just good rugby, fair play, um, manipulating defence, and and it works for them. So, yeah, I think we go into. As we say, we now go into two weeks off. More contribution to the bitterness and the lack of momentum, but there's the chance to kind of reset a one-off game against Cardiff, and then it's a real run at the Premiership for uh, for a few weeks in a row. So we'll obviously be back with previews for that. James, do you want to have uh, five to seven minutes on the Six Nations quickly before we go? Unless you've got any other thoughts on the Irish no, game? No, let's just quickly uh, let's do ten minutes on on the Six Nations. Um, so should we start with the the, the Wales Italy game, um, which I, which I thought everyone was expecting it to be closer, and and I think for the first time Italy were kind of borderline favourites in a lot of people's minds because Wales had dropped so far, and mentally they were so, so far away from where they needed to be. People just assume well Italy have actually performed quite well in the Six Nations so far. They're at home. They're going to come out. Uh, on top, and actually, I think the pressure got to them a little bit, and I think they're continually struggling with Garbisi at ten. I know it's a, it's a very unpopular um, viewpoint, but for me, his passing is is too slow. The ball goes too slow through his hands. I think he sits far too deep as well, um, and I think that's really affecting the Italian attacking play. Of course, Capuazzo being injured is is uh, Aminotti being injured is unfortunate in that regard. Um, so I think Wales also, this was their game. They had to win. They had to win this. And I think that, you know, after all the trials and tribulations of strike action and all the rest of it, they were actually focused on this game. And I think there's enough positives to take out of this. You know, if if, if this was a start of a World Cup cycle and there was a new coach in place, I, I don't think it's a complete disaster, the Six Nations, because they probably had to have unearthed kind of maybe four very young players who look like they're, you know, within a year or two of being quite effective at international level um, and, you know, potentially having enough caps under their belt come the next World Cup, you know, that could be help. That could be a helpful spine of the team. The problem they have, of course, is that they've got a lot of players who are too young and too inexperienced and a lot of players who are very experienced but over the hill. Um and it's a very it's a very difficult job for Gatland. But I thought that um that the, the Wales they did enough. It was the worst game of the weekend. They did enough to win and actually win pretty comfortably in the end. Um so that was my view on, on Wales Italy. Uh shall I come to you, um, Alex, for the England game? What did you think of England France? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a tough watch. I went to watch Sail FC on um Saturday put away Bishop Stortford relatively handedly with some good performances from some sale lads, Karen Wilkinson and Tommy Amasanya. Um played really well as did Tom Curtis at ten. So I was feeling pretty good going into watching that England game in the pub afterwards and it was rubbish. I mean listen, this is a, a real sort of reflection of where England are. I, I don't think you can be surprised at the manner of the defeat, the the level of the defeat. I think it's just France are a very, very good team. I think the worry for England is that France didn't really get out of third or fourth gear. You know, they, they made a lot of errors. They, they sort of picked up in the second half, but first half, they just, they had England. I think the best metaphor for this game is Roman and Smack holding their own foul at arm's length, because that's exactly what France did all game. They just held England at arm's length and always had more in the tank. They always had the ball free, ready to you know offload it. 
England, this is a reflection of what happens when you've got a poor governing body in the RFU. You know, I think it's you've got a coach that's been thrown into a Six Nations where you've got France, Ireland and Scotland, the strongest they've been for a hell of a long time. Um, I mean, we're pretty lucky that Wales and Italy, you know, we had we had a very poor Wales side in their, probably their poorest moment against us and Italy at home because I think without that, you know, you, you struggle to see where the wins come from for this England side. Um, you know, some people just aren't up to it at test level, I think, uh, and they are being persisted with. I think Don Brandt had a really poor game at eight and I think we're, we're suffering now from, you know, picking people, Everyone wants us to pick people on form. I think the problem with that selection criteria is that the Premiership is not a good enough league that form in the Premiership equates to international quality. Let's be realistic about this. You know, when was the last time an English team got near the final of the Champions Cup that wasn't Saracens? It was Exeter in COVID, a one-off year. They've massively fallen off. All their best players are going to France. You know, the league is just not not as good a standard as the French league and the system is not as well set up for international rugby as the Irish. Um, Scotland are bringing in a hell of a lot of project players who are doing really well for them. And, you know, England just look, look a bit lost to me. Um, and I think this weekend was exactly as expected. You know, you can... It's embarrassing because it's a Twickenham and it's a massive defeat, but I don't think this is at all a Steve Borthwick issue. It's a, an English rugby issue. And listen, you know, Marcus Smith is probably the best 10 in England, if not if not Aaron Fowell. I think Smith and Fowell together made England look far better in that, you know, 10-minute attack period than they did for the rest of the game. Um, but, you know, we're picking probably the best players in England at the moment. I'd have Billy Vinpola in on form, but that's yeah, I recognise that he's you know a bit older and, and they want to bring through young players. But this isn't far off England's strongest team and we looked absolutely nowhere near France. So it's a reflection of, of, of where England are. For France, just brilliant. And, and DuPont is a magician and, and loves the big occasion. And I think this will be a real boost to them kind of I'm not sure they've been quite at the performances they'd want to have been in this tournament. Um, and I think this is a real sort of everything just clicked in the last few minutes of the game. But they, it was really well managed and managed the Twickenham crowd. And and as I say, they've got plenty of gears left in them. So, yeah, a really disappointing one for, for England. But let's be realistic. This is where England are for me. Mm. Yeah, I, and I agree. And, and and the back row got completely paid off the pitch. And you know, Ludlam aside, you know, Willis and Dumbrant aren't fit enough for international rugby. And um, you know, taking Willis off and and you know, Dumbrant having to play the A team. I mean, he was absolutely gassed after like about fifty minutes. He was no good to anybody. And everyone's having a go at him for sort of ambling across for the crossfield kick in the same way as he was ambling across to tackle Van der Merwe in the Scottish Scotland game. But the truth is, he's just exhausted, um, and he's just he's just not fit enough to play international rugby. And it's a, he, Don Brown's the best example, more than Marcus Smith. You know, I've I've been quite critical of Marcus Smith, but actually, you know, I thought he had an okay game behind a pack that got absolutely hammered 
both in the physical zone and at the breakdown. I thought Ben Curry, by the way, had a really good game when he came on. He's getting a lot of criticism or sort of piss take on, on Twitter, which he's got to take on the chin because it was a bit of a ridiculous moment when you're sort of celebrating a knock-on under the post of the opposition, but when you're already like 40 points down or whatever. <laughs> um, but in my view is, you know, they wouldn't be doing this if it was like Jack Willis or Don Brandt. You know, this is a guy who came on and even though it was a losing cause, he gave everything for his country that he had. He did more turnovers in about three seconds than the than the rest of the back row had done between them for the whole game. And, uh, you know, it was that fighting spirit that led to the knock-on because it was him, you know, rushing out and tackling that led to the led to the mistake. And so I wish we just had a bit more passion like that from the rest of the team, to be honest. And if he doesn't start this weekend, I'd be quite surprised. Um you know, I think that Don Brandt is a luxury player, clearly. And on the go forward, on hard ground, you know, he's a good player. Um, and Willis is the best jackler that England have. But he doesn't offer enough defensively in the tackle um, or the work rate around the park, nor does he offer enough uh, with handling and, and, and skills and linking back play, nor does he offer enough as a carrier. He doesn't offer enough as a carrier either. So I know he's in vogue, Willis, and I think he's got skill sets that are far above other people. But it's about the balance, my point. It's about the balance in the back row. You can carry Jack Willis to go around trying to poach every ruck as long as you've got people who are, you know, hitting hitting every ruck uh, to secure your own ball and, and, and tackling and linking the play with the backs and being mobile and things. So... Um, yeah. Anyway, look, we move on. I think it's not. It's just one performance for England. There's obviously a root issue um, in the game. Um, I don't think he has a lot of other options to bring in a lot of other players. You know, in the Eddie Jones era, there was always a Don Brandt that could be picked that could save the day. There's always a Smith that could be picked. Well, we've done it now when we're still losing badly. In fact, we're probably worse. Um, so where do you go next? Well, now people are moving on to the Tom Pearsons and things like that. Very good player. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you were telling us that Jack Willis was the best seven in the world, so and was going to solve all of England's problems. So, you know, oh, you're moving on to Pearson now, okay? So, do you know what I mean? I just think it's very easy to be an armchair fan like we are and be super, super critical. But I think that Borthwick, you know, he's he's got few options. I would send a relatively similar team out again in Ireland. Why? Because it's not worth just throwing random people like George Ford in or whatever just to get beaten up. You know, let's say to the team, look, you're embarrassed last week. You might bring Farrell back in. Um, who knows? Maybe Tuolangi comes back in. But, you know, you've got a chance against Ireland. Dan. You've got a million injuries, and that moves us nicely onto the Ireland-Scotland game, where I thought Scotland were fully in this game for 50 minutes or so. And actually, I think they should have gone in at half-time leading. I really, really do. I think they, you know, between Irish defence and, and, and Scotland sort of sort of rabbit in the headlights, you know, they just didn't quite get over the line. I thought Finn Russell wasn't in the game enough for me. You know, he gets a lot of criticism about in the big games. He basically just doesn't put his stamp on them enough. And I think that the, this was a good example of that. He's obviously, you know, I think Russell and uh, Hogg sort of out of the next game as well for Scotland. So that's going to be a big blow for them about how they sort of reposition themselves as an attacking force without those two players. Ireland then just went away with it a little bit. They just have got, even with injuries, they've just got this way of playing. And don't get me wrong, you know, they're, they're, they're putting people like, you know, Hugo Keenan through, who wasn't like a standout in age group rugby. You know, now is the best fullback in the world. You know, there's got to be huge credit to this coaching team, not just 
at the international level, but the way they've connected with the coaching teams of all the other um all the other Irish sides. Yeah. Because you look they all play in a similar way. They can feed into the system. You can throw anybody into it and they'll perform absolutely exceptionally. Um and they have got project players as well. People like Hansen, people like Lowe, people like Van der Fleer, people like Bielem. You know, they've got plenty of project players, as many if if not more than Scotland. But they've got, you know, Gibson Park. They've got this is just a thought floating about. But they've got a ethos and a way of playing the game, which is just like, it's unstoppable. Um, it really, really is. And you, I think you look at Ireland, France and New Zealand, who are the, clearly the best three teams in the world now for the World Cup. You know that South Africa will find a way to be there or thereabouts come the World Cup because that's what they do. Even in when South, the weakest South African sides in history, they've always been there or thereabouts in a World Cup because they can just bring a physicality that people struggle to match. Everyone else, everyone else is miles off. Everyone. And England fall into that camp. So I, I enjoyed the Ireland-Scotland game. I was hoping for a, for Scotland to maybe spring a surprise there, but uh, but not to be. So that's, that's our Six Nations wrap-up. And thank you, everybody, for, for listening in. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out before I hand back over to Alex to close us off to Lim, who um, are top of the league and primed for promotion. Blackburn need, I think, 90 points in their final game uh, to push Lim off top spot uh, and get promoted to the national leagues. If it's Lim that go up, that's the first time they've ever been in National League 2 North. Um you know, it's probably a bit of a scary moment for the club um, to travel a bit of bigger distances um, and playing against players who are getting paid. Um, but, you know, just absolutely fantastic to see one of sales, you know, long-standing 100 club partners, you know, with, with a relatively young team do so well in their league and and, and our fingers crossed for you to, to go up. And no disrespect to Blackburn, wish you well as well. But uh, I've, I just want to shout out that I used to play for Lim. So that's why I've managed to give them a shout out this time. But well done, boys. Yeah, brilliant. And another great example of Northwest Rugby, as I mentioned it before, but Sale FC obviously won on the weekend and um, very disappointing. They coldly lost by a point uh, with the last kick of the game to Ampton on the weekend, um, which is a bit of a shame, but still there and thereabouts in the championship. So Northwest Rugby continues to have really good representation at. Um, at all levels of the of the leagues, you know we're we're up there in all of them, so it's great to see. Uh, and on that positive note, I think we'll leave it there for this week. We will uh, be back with a short roundup of the final week of the Six Nations after that finishes next week, and then we'll come back to you on the back of a massive Challenge Cup knockout game away at Cardiff uh, on the first of April. So. Thanks very much for listening, as always, and we'll see you soon.